In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text is the epistle reading, which you've already heard. You may be seated. One of the hazards of living next to my office is that it's really easy for me to just pop over here, no matter the hour, and grab some book or do some quick work that I need to get done after I get the kids to bed, or even uh, most Sundays I'm over here right around 5.30 or so before I go back to the house and get everybody ready for church. So when I do that, it's often dark, and I'm in a hurry, and I'm not paying attention, and before I know it, I meet a, one of the, the many steps that are in the building, and I find myself laid out on the ground. Usually it happens right here. Uh, but it has happened out there. I think it's happened in the stairwell. I don't think there's a set of stairs that I have not yet fallen down. I bring this up because St. Paul reminds us to, that it is important to look at how we are walking. Last week, from this same epistle to the Ephesians, Paul gave us instructions on what to wear and what not to wear. That is, to put off the things that belong to our former manner of life. He also told us what to wear, that is, to put on Christ and his righteousness. But remember, these weren't just religious platitudes, but it was God, through his apostle, calling us to conform our lives to the life of Christ, rather than simply trying to baptize our old sinful habits, hoping that God will just look the other way. But in this gospel, this gospel lesson this week, we see that not wearing the wedding garment resulted in one man being bound hand and foot and being cast into hell. What we wear in terms of our religious life does matter. But to walk wise, St. Paul now urges us to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. So, is St. Paul urging us to stop wasting time? I think that's a distinct possibility. Wasting time, after all, is foolish. The business world knows this better than anyone. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, time is money. But even Jesus speaks this way about doing the Lord's work. When he encountered a man born blind in John chapter 9... The disciples wanted to waste time to try to figure out, well, who was to blame for this man's blindness? But instead, Jesus urged them to action. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Soon it will be night when no one can work, he says. In the same way, the time for the church to do her work that the Lord has given her to do is short. Our Lord has given us the work of making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Sometimes we treat evangelism as, as if it's something that just sort of happens mysteriously. People just show up, which in fact does happen sometimes. But for those who did not grow up in the church and 
I don't know if there are any of you here. Most of those who did not grow up going to a Christian church, more often than not, come to church because they were invited by someone. Lifeway Research, which puts out surveys and things like that for churchly matters, has found that some 35% of unchurched people would likely come to church at least one time if they were invited. Think about that. 35%. That's about three and a half out of 10 people. If you ask 10 people in a week, about three and a half would come to church with you. They also found that 60, that 67% of Americans said that a personal invitation from a family member would be somewhat effective in getting them to church. So take that 35% and then consider it in terms of your unchurched family members. Although we don't know when Jesus will return, it could be a thousand years from now, long after we're gone. He does say, though, that it will be soon. After all, the signs of the close of the age are present now. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes in various places. But all of these things have been present since our Lord ascended into heaven. The time is, in fact, short. The hour is late. St. Paul, then, is definitely urging us to use time wisely by putting away our sins. So that's the next thing. Stop wasting time. And now put away your sins, he says. I quote, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Sometimes we act like the Lord's will is a total mystery. But God does make his will plain for us in the Ten Commandments. To put it briefly, as you learn in every catechism class, you are to love God with everything that you have and everything that you are, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Here, St. Paul gives specific examples of drunkenness and debauchery, and this is a warning that while drinking is not necessarily a sin, overindulgence in drinking is. By calling drunkenness debauchery, though, St. Paul drops the hammer of the law upon us in a way that we probably weren't expecting. Too often, drunkenness is considered nothing more than a little harmless fun. But by calling it debauchery, St. Paul shows how closely related drunkenness actually is to sexual sin. Alcohol dulls our senses and inhibitions. It makes, us easier, makes it easier for us to make rash and foolish decisions with our bodies. And even worse... By ignoring God's will, we fill ourselves with sin rather than with the Holy Spirit. This is one of the places where the scripture reminds us that, our, that intentional, repeated sin is harmful to our souls and even puts us in danger of coming or committing the unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit. That is, falling into unbelief because we've engaged with our sinful nature time and time again, that we have forgotten the Lord's word. But Paul also urges us to make the use, best use of our time, not just by doing what the Lord commands and avoiding the sin that crouches at our doors. He also urges us to make a turn 
that we might not expect. He says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, he says addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody, singing with all your heart to the Lord our God. St. Paul adds a little bit more to this when he writes similarly to the Colossian Christians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All of that, taken together, sounds a little bit familiar, or at least it should. For this is nothing more than a description of what we do every time we gather together in this place. Dear saints, St. Paul's call to make the best use of our time culminates in uh, the worship service. In fact, I'd like to point out maybe a little bit of a better translation of that phrase to make the best use of the time. The New King James puts it like this. See that you walk not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Again, instead of making the best use of the time, Paul calls us to redeem the time. That Greek verb tells us to redeem the time, that is to buy it back from the evil world, recognizing that it has some future value that we will cash in on someday. When we gather together in worship, which is how the Word of God tells us that we should worship, we are walking wisely by redeeming the time that God has given to us. So much of our week is spent pursuing a dollar, looking for opportunities to rest from the constant push and shove of the workday, to get a little better at volleyball, to get a little better at basketball. We are battered, we are bruised by our battles with sin and Satan throughout the week. But when we gather here, in this place, we're redeeming that time with the Word of God and with the blood of Christ, which cleanses us and cleanses all time of all sin. Martin Luther once wrote, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. There, Luther reminds us that when we engage in the holy things of God, we actually find rest for our souls and strength to live our lives according to his promises. Put off those things, as St. Paul says, that belong to the former manner of your life. Put away your sins by repentance and drowning them in the watery grave of the font. Put away all those things that belong to the former manner of your life and come to this place. Come and sing a new song, a song of the salvation that the Lord our God has accomplished by sending his son Jesus to die in our place at the cross. 
Make the best use of the time by singing the Lord's praises in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and the very liturgy of the church which is comprised of those things. Don't just let it wash over you and others, but sing. Hold up that hymnal in front of you and sing out. And I got to tell you, it doesn't matter if you think you have a good singing voice or not. Remember, the psalmist tells us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And if that's all that can come out of your mouth, well, God be praised, because that is a joyful noise unto the Lord. But why? Why do that? Why gather here in this place? Don't we have so much more that we could accomplish? Well, because this time that we're redeeming here has future value. Its value is in heaven itself. And it is held before our eyes as the curtain is pulled back and we are given a glimpse of the hidden reality that is beyond the veil of this fallen world. For it is in this time here, in this hour, that the Lord of heaven and earth, who is enthroned on the praises of his people, your praises, dear saints, where he comes down here to meet you in his word and in his sacrament. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.